I'm a big fan of the very simple approaches. Until we squeeze the last drop of the potential of the very simple method, I'm not a big fan of going immediately with the state-of-the-art because state-of-the-art comes from the industry-specific. Like if it comes from the big companies, they have very specific problem and they optimize for it. I mean, as a public broadcaster, our goal is to provide a diversified content. So it's not like only about the precision. So the intersection basically between the set of items that we recommend and the set of items the user clicks, but we want the content to be diversified. This is important for us. So what we do is we literally take the embeddings from the, the USE embeddings and we calculate the interlist similarity. The higher this similarity, the more diversified the content. So it was for me, the whole trouble of the matrix factorization was for me, link prediction, where this kind of inner products will represent the edge weights. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Experts. This time we actually look at a public service media provider and how that public service media provider is recommending audio content to its users. To be a bit more precise, I have invited Mirsa Clementer to the show. Hello Mirsa. Hello Marcel, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So Mirza is a senior data scientist and also a expert. And what is very interesting, he is also a novelist, which we will hopefully have the chance to talk about later a bit. Mirza obtained his PhD in computer science at the University of Constance. And I actually found that he was the youngest PhD student in computer science obtaining his PhD from the university there. He is working for PUP, Public Value Technologies, which is a German company and a subsidiary of two regional public broadcasters, the Bayerischer Rundfunk and Südwestrundfunk, a company actually focusing on developing digital products and especially developing digital products for public broadcasting. And in this case, and for today, we talk about a specific one, the ARD Audiothek, which Mirza will give us some more details about in this episode. So Mirza, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I did my basic studies. So the bachelor studies I did at the University Sarajevo School of Science and Technology in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. After having a four-year bachelor degree, I did immediately a PhD Uh, so I did transition immediately without having a master. And this was uh, like a uh, not really usual case back then in, in, in Germany. <laughs> so I, I was put on a fast track and they kind of experimented with me. But I, I managed to do it in less than three years. I obtained the PhD and it was in the field of multidimensional scaling applied for graph drawing. So basically graph embedding. Here it was limited to two dimensions. Also with three dimensions we experimented. Yes, so but the, the my passion was designing and implementing efficient algorithms. So algorithms that are efficient in terms of time complexity, efficient in terms of space complexity. And so one of the one of the chapters from my dissertation actually got awarded the best paper award. And actually, this was the world's most renowned conference in the field of graph drawing. And this was basically the graph embedding in two dimensional uh, case where we 
managed to reduce the complexity per iteration from quadratic to linear. It was like an approximation, but a pretty good one. Uh, yes. So after that, I took a year off. Uh, I because it was like uh, it was it, it was intense. You know, it 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 sounds impressive. You know, to to get a PhD at 25, but you really have to put some effort. Yeah. So then I I worked in in Calso in in automotive industry a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I saw that it actually kind of deviates from the data science work that I expected, then I said, okay, let me let me listen to some opportunities, like if I can move to data science or even to academia. And it was actually at that point that I got the best paper award with my colleague, uh, Mark Orpan, who did all the experiments. And actually, thanks thanks to him, it was his initiative because I kind of left academia. But interesting, interesting mm-hmm. development because back then, getting the best paper award was kind of a passport for me for a postdoc. So I got mm-hmm. an offer from the University of Roma 3 in Rome, Italy to do a postdoc in graph drawing there. And I did it uh, for uh, around nine months. It was kind of a theoretical contribution. It was like a problem of morphing uh, one graph drawing to another, like two-dimensional morph to achieve and such that all the graphs in between are planar, such there are no, no edge intersection, which is more into the theoretical um, direction contribution. So I then decided, okay, let me go now to collect data science experience from the real world. So this is how I landed in, in Sarajevo, where it all started. So there I worked <laughs> as a data scientist for a American-based company. So that means... After uh, having finished the PhD in Constance, exactly. you joined the university in Rome for a postdoc. And from there, you went back to Sarajevo, Exactly. Right? It was kind of back and forth, I have to admit. So <laughs> when uh, when I have discussions with recruiters, I always have to like, they ask me, what is this? I, I, is it like a good chronologically ordered or did you make a mistake? I say, it's everything is fine. I will explain. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so let's let's continue. So data science was in, in Sarajevo. I, we worked for a San Francisco-based mm-hmm. company. What we did there was actually very cool. Uh, it was a stock market prediction based on graph series analysis. So basically mm-hmm. graphs were built, of, built out of news articles. Literally out of news articles, we will extract the keywords. We call them concepts. We will build the graphs. We will have for each day a separate graph. And then we will study the graphs, study like centrality scores and so on. And... Um, then we will uh, kind of feature engineer out of the graphs and we will then use it for the stock market prediction. And it was then after some time that I said, okay, let me go back to Germany. So let's go, mm-hmm. let's go. Because I had a very good experience. Oh, my friends were in Karlsruhe, but this time I said, okay, let me see if there is some kind of uh, like a narrow data science role. Uh, usually when they, when, when you look at the data science role, they are very broad. You know, they, they ask you, you know, mm-hmm. pandas, numpy, you know, classification, regression. But I said, okay, it's, it's like a very broad, <laughs> but is there any, any, something very specific, you know, okay, let's do like pricing engines, like regressions. But this one was very interesting because it was in recommender system and it was like the title recommender system. And previously to that time, I never heard of Bayerischer Rundfunk, which is the, the mother company. It was a, like a daughter company kind of ARD. And I said, yes. So I, I sent them the application and they liked the application. They have given me a test. I did the test and everything worked smoothly. I started working as a data scientist in the field of recommender systems. And interestingly enough, the author that was most frequently cited in my dissertation, Yehuda Koren, and also Yifan Hu, which were the authors of the uh, so-called implicit alternative least square. So this is the weighted matrix factorization approach back in 2008, I think. And it was actually the system that I found in production in the audio tech. So it was kind of 
I tell you this because it's a closing a loop. You know, it's it's everything was was kind of getting back together. Yes. So let me just give you some some background for the for the listeners. So probably some of them will be from Germany. They they are familiar definitely with ARD Audio Take. We we actually really do have many listeners uh, worldwide, and most of them are actually, according to my statistics, coming from the United States. Mm -hmm. So many worldwide have heard, of course, about the BBC, uh, about the German public broadcasters, which are actually the biggest ones, at least in terms of their budget. Uh, but there's also a very big one in, in Japan. But maybe we can elaborate a bit more on them to give our listeners worldwide a better image of what they are actually doing in Germany. Exactly. So I think that we can make a parallel between BBC and IRD, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we make a parallel between BBC in Great Britain and IRD in Germany, then people will understand the importance of the of the platform. It's an audio-on-demand platform where you can listen to podcasts. I actually, a couple of days ago, I had a exchange with one man, and he said that IRD Audiotech was the only content that actually he was consuming on the internet because he said it's very <laughs> it's very sophisticated by his standards. Like he said that the editorial team takes care of letting out the content that was like scientifically proven kind of. You know, so at least this is my feeling. I have to be honest that, okay, my German is not that good as my English, so I don't spend that much time at uh, listening to the audio tech except when I'm testing the algorithms. But I would say that the audio tech content is pretty good quality content. Mm -hmm. It's definitely good quality content. It's coming is coming from various sources. As I said, there are you you already mentioned. So there is this uh, various houses that are under the roof of ARD, like Zutwestrundfunk, mm -hmm. so which is like a south uh, west part of Germany, and then there is Bavaria where, where I am, and so on and so forth. So the content is pretty good. They we have like a couple of thousands of uh, items on on disposal. They are with the daily updates. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so some content is evergreen and other content is obviously updated. And uh, yes, yeah, so there is the the recommender system play an important role for the audio tech, but I have to say, mm -hmm. and this should be actually a little... Uh, slap to the management is this I really don't have the feeling that they understand the potential of what the recommend and actually the personalization so I'm not talking about only recommendation but the personalization could play in user engagement I guess there are many different areas in Germany where we have definitely room for more digital mindset one could say but before we dive into, into the specifics of the recommender systems uh, with regards to the IRD audio take. Let's take a step back. So the IRD is actually a broadcaster network, so a public broadcaster network. And within that network of regional broadcasters, there are two of them. So the Bayerischer Rundfunk, BR, and the uh, Südwestrundfunk. And these two, if I'm right, but please correct me there, they basically decided to found their own digital company, the one that you are working for. And is this also the company that you joined then uh, when you joined them as a data scientist or is this something that evolved over time? What was actually the, the context when you joined the company? Have you joined Bayerischer Rundfunk and then transitioned to that new company? And when was it actually? So since when have you been dealing with recommender systems? <laughs> there is not only like Bayerischer Rundfunk and SWR mm -hmm. under the hood of IRD. There are like many others. Like there is the Hessische mm -hmm. Rundfunk, I think. There is like, there is some uh, Deutschland, Deutschland Radio or, or some many other 
broadcasters in Germany. It's like from every mm-hmm. German state, there is a participant in the ARD club. So this is one thing. Okay, I started with Bayerischer Rundfunk in August 2021. Mm-hmm. But in April, back then, it was like towards the end of the year, it was decided to form a company so that both Bayerischer Rundfunk and SWR invest in a company that will be basically handling the software development for the whole IRD team, but specifically for the Bayerischer Rundfunk and for SWR. And the company Mm -hmm. is Public Value Technologies. When people ask me, I still say that I work for Bayerischer Rundfunk because the pub is relatively new. And it's still a daughter company from Bayerischer Rundfunk. We all the projects that we have are actually related to Bayerischer Rundfunk. Now we will start like mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks uh, with a very specific project with SWR. So yeah, this is the the story. Okay, yeah, definitely makes sense. I mean, the audio take is your product that you are responsible for in terms of recommendations, as far as I understand. Yes. So how was it shift actually? So I have understood so far that you have been a longtime expert for everything that is related to graph approaches in data science. And I mean, recommender systems are not unrelated to graphs. So you could resemble the interactions in a recommender system between users and items as a bipartite graph. There are many graph approaches, graph neural networks, and so on and so forth. Have you seen these similarities from the very beginning or what is it to join this field that you haven't worked in before from the perspective of a, let's say, graph expert? So how was that shift? Actually, it was a very smooth shift. And this is actually how I expected it because during my dissertation, I did, okay, it was graph drawing. So it was literally graph embedding in two-dimensional space. But a part of my dissertation, and this is, basically the part that I kind of most proud of is a numerical optimization approach, uh, which I proved to converge. So it was like a mathematical approach which iteratively converges to the local minimum of a specific function. So I was exposed mm-hmm. during my PhD studies to the embeddings, like to the vectors. And mm-hmm. I'm someone who enjoys working with geometry, like with vectors. I like exploring, I mean, obviously graph drawing, it's all about geometry, so exploring the proximities of the items, clusters, and so on. And the first point of interaction between me and, and, and recommender system was actually the paper by Yehuda Koren Yifan Hu. This was this famous implicit library that many people know about. And there, there is like, they, they give you a function and then they elaborate on the numerical optimization. They It was at least knowing the the works of Yehuda Koren, it was backwards engineered. So it was literally the constraints and the function were given such that the optimization is done very fast. So it was like a reverse engineer. It was not top down, but it, it's pretty good. So it was like a very smooth transition for me to understand how it all operates, right? So there mm-hmm. is a function mm-hmm. that needs to be optimized. There are weights inserted in, into this function. Then in the end, there are inner products, right? And then the only difference that I had to learn, and this is the cosine similarity, and if they are normalized, <laughs> then there is only inner product. So w- mm-hmm. if you if you multiply everything, then uh, you only extract the top ones. And these are the recommendations. So everything made sense. Yeah. Okay, and it, okay. as you said, it also made sense because this matrix, I consider it as a adjacency matrix of a bipartite mm-hmm. graph, as you said. So it was for me, the whole trouble of the matrix factorization was for me, link prediction, where mm-hmm. this kind of inner products will represent the edge weights. This is how yeah. I understood it. And we will talk later about how I actually utilize this idea to improve the accuracy of one of our models. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. So 
That makes sense for me. Talking a bit more about the IID Audiotheque, uh, you already said uh, and touched a bit on the items. So actually, what is the content of the RID Audiotheque? So far we said it's, it's audio related content. So what does it mean in specific? Can you elaborate a bit on that? So what is it actually that you are recommending there? There are various categories that you are recommending. There is like categories that are literally audiobooks. Then there are categories mm -hmm. that come from, from the, uh, this is comedy. Like one of the most famous is the one from Bastian Pastewka, which is, uh, you probably know, and for other listeners, which is one of the mm -hmm. most famous uh, comedians in Germany. His podcast, like in the in the preview, they immediately is a red flag when we when we see it because it's the most popular content. So this is how we notice that it's <laughs> popularity biased. Yes. Okay. So, but there is also very interesting content on I call it like philosophy category on on religion. Also, uh, there is also kids content. Uh, since I mentioned kids content, there is also like. Okay, we have some business rules. Like if the user is showing interest in the kids' content, then let's say war content or sexual content should not be uh, recommended. Mm -hmm. Right. So there mm -hmm. are some business rules that you apply in the end. But uh, yes, yeah, so th there is also a sport category. Like I call them reports uh, related to sports. I'm, I'm not really like into, mm -hmm. into sports. This is what I would say about the content. But there is also, at least in my, in my opinion, it is like a documentary style, uh, very nicely organized organized and with a very high how we say so when you listen to it it's like very high confidence that this is really based on science and even if there is a history category as a public broadcaster we try to be and the content is obviously so that we don't go into the polarities right so we try to mm -hmm. provide an objective view whatever the topic is Right. I would assume you go into the polarities, but you also try to balance exactly. them off to show different exactly. perspectives regarding exactly. a certain topic and then cover the different opinions uh, that there are in your in your audience, yes. I would assume. With regards to the, I would refer to them as genres that you were already elaborating on. So kids, documentary, comedy or sports. What are the types of content items that you have so you have already mentioned that there are audiobooks i also remember you saying that there are podcasts exactly so does this also mean that you have to disambiguate between different levels of items something where we might relate to something as a full show and then there we have the episode level of certain stuff right now the recommender system is only based on the episodes right so every item is treated as an episode the series of episodes we call them program sets so this is basically a podcast and we will talk later mm -hmm. about how we adjusted the system such that it operates with the series of episodes organized into podcasts we basically have these two levels episodes and the podcasts okay and program is synonymous term for for podcast yes yes so you have these two levels like you would also encounter in other audio services uh, that you have to deal with so you were already talking about the slap in the face of the management <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I was kind of expecting something, but uh, I want to let you go. What is the slap in the face that you were uh, referring to? Yeah, so we were basically proposing new ideas of how we can improve user engagement. 
I have to be, I, I'm, I, I'm working on thin ice, but I, I have to be honest that it's not only with recommendations, but with all other proposals that you go th- to the management, it takes some time with the public broadcasters, mm-hmm. like in big companies, it takes some time until it is discussed, until it's evaluated and until you get the green light. We were pretty fast, my team were pretty fast into like developing prototypes and we were showcasing and uh, we <laughs> still to this day, some very basic ideas are um, kind of not implemented. I will mention an idea. So this is practically every every user is shown a fixed list of items. So of editorially curated list of items is presented to the user. So we propose, okay, let's... I have the website right open here and I do not only see a list of items, I basically see that row concept that you see in many exactly. domains. So I see Bastian Pastevka at the yes, very top yes. to the very left. Yes. <laughs> But it's actually a crime podcast, so mm-hmm. it seems it's not like the standard Pastevka mm-hmm. more comedy-like content. So you have these rows, and then each row is basically, I would say, a ranked list of items. So can you go from it there? It is fixed <laughs> list of items for every user. Okay. So we proposed, let us personalize the rankings. I gave an, an example. So let's say that the 10th item is towards the end that the user actually doesn't see. And this mm-hmm. is the sports item. And the user is a heavy sport user. Like he, he listens to the sport-related podcasts. So he won't, he won't see. I gave a very simple idea. I wanted their attention. Yeah. And I said, if we sort them, it, we will push it towards the front. So there is a higher probability that he will click on it. This was a showcase and we literally used the embeddings that we have from matrix factorization. We just do mm-hmm. inner inner products resort and that's it. So this was one of the mm-hmm. proposals, but yeah, so, but there are, there are a couple of more I mean, that's not too bad. So maybe let's start from that. And I mean, there are definitely recommenders in place yeah. that I assume so that you have already brought into production. So um, Mirza, can you walk us through the history and share with our listeners what there is actually in place? Okay. So what kinds of general recommenders you are using and what use cases you use them for okay so let's start with the with the very very basic idea that was implemented first and uh, that was there when i when i arrived this is the very simple content to content recommenders it means that it doesn't consider the user browsing history so it only depends on the last item the user clicked on and this is based on the vectors obtained by universal sentence encoder which is subjected to so the, the input was actual summaries. So the summaries that you can actually see in the audio tape of a particular episode. Okay, so when I click on a certain item, then I see, of course, the title. I can also see which actual broadcaster this was generated from or displayed at. And I definitely see that summary exactly. there, which is a couple of sentences. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So summaries were for, first utilized. So then was the idea, okay, let's go with transcripts. So let's see if we can like extend everything with transcripts and then see if it improves the results. So we did this, we mm-hmm. did an A-B test and the, the results actually improved. So when we subject the transcripts to it, another idea that we had it's not in production, is to utilize teaser images. So literally, it means that we will concatenate the vectors obtained by the UAE with the vectors obtained with the image embedder. We will probably like mm-hmm. downweight the importance of the vectors obtained for the images. But the idea was, okay, let's see if, if this actually boosts boost the results. So for, for you, this is under the section Ähnliche Inhalte, which is a similar content. 
Is this actually the use case? So basically when I look at a certain item, um, so I click a certain True Crime exactly. podcast and then the very first row I can see there the only are, let's say, set of recommendations but consisting of two rows and then I can also click to see more. It's actually, in my current view, two times six items where I see, as you said, similar content or ähnliche Inhalte. Exactly. So this is basically stemming from the recommendations exploiting the UCE embeddings, isn't it? Exactly, UCE embeddings. They were, they were obviously, they tried some other embeddings like a sentence bird and so on, but UCE proved to give the best results. So this was, yeah. There are basically three things that you tried. So one is using the summaries only to embed exactly. those. Um, then you created transcripts for the corresponding episode exactly. and embedded the transcript. And the third one is actually to concatenate the embedding stemming from the summary with the image embedding, or did you use something else? There? No, that's that's it. So either either the summary or the transcripts with the, with the image embedding. So there was then, of course, we will probably do some dimension reduction on the image embeddings and see how it how it all works. And the first one turned out to work best. Transcripts, yes. In, in we did an A/B test. Uh, it showed a better uh, CTR. So we we decided to go for it. And are you using those embeddings um, only for this use case to recommend similar items given a seed item, or is it that you also use them, for example, to compose user embeddings or user representations? There are two things that I will discuss with this regard. That's a good question. Uh -huh. We actually okay. did try it, and I feel embarrassed that I didn't uh, think about it. So we actually did this. We calculated user mm -hmm. embeddings based on the user browsing history, and we actually incorporated the timestamps. It was not like a simple average, but it was a weighted average where the weights were associated with timestamps, and we obtained the user embeddings, and then we have like a... Uh, user to content we call them u2c so user to content embedder so this we actually tried mm -hmm. but the results were not that good this was basically taking the history of a user exactly and then applying some decay by exactly. exploiting the timestamps of the corresponding interactions, yes. which I guess we will also talk about what engagement and interactions are actually, or how you define certain thresholds there. But you were using the embeddings based on the transcripts, so the exactly. UCE embeddings exactly. for, for this. Okay, I yes. see, I see, I see. And this turned out not to work, or what is no, it, it that didn't. you compared it with? We compared it with, uh, we compared it with the weighted matrix factorization. So this is the famous mm -hmm implicit library, which was kind of tweaked, adjusted, and so on. It's a very flexible thing, powerful thing. Offline results were pretty, pretty bad. So we decided it's not a good idea. We also did some some other combination, like going with the nearest neighbors there with each of the of the items that the user has selected, then concatenating the list and so on. But it, it didn't work well in the end. Mm -hmm. So in any ideas why this didn't turn out to work, or at least, let's say, sufficiently. So I somehow get from you that it was pretty bad. Yes, it was. It was pretty bad. But the the thing is, I mean, we compare. I mean, it's always relative to something. So we compared it yeah. to a model that comes from the user item interactions. So there, this mm -hmm, model mm -hmm. is literally like the mathematics within the model is trying to match the similar users to the same side, right? This is via the user item interactions, and here. We, okay, it's kind of doing the similar thing, but the spread of the items based on the content is different than it is mm -hmm. in, the, in the matrix factorization because there you don't utilize the mm -hmm. content. So the, uh, you, literally there is no, it's a, it's a bipartite graph, as you said at the beginning. So there is no link between the items. 
So this is why I think, but obviously it was like we were trying to utilize one scenario for a totally different objective. It, it was a very wild uh, attempt. I mean, I would be very surprised that it actually <laughs> provided some good results, but yeah. in the end it didn't. And I mean, the comparison might also be a bit unfair because uh, you are somehow comparing, let's say, content-based user embeddings that are basically weighted averages of item embeddings with collaborative filtering approach where you used weighted matrix factorization. Exactly, exactly. But there is also another thing. Yeah, go ahead. This is the thing where, so where do we utilize the embeddings also? So we actually utilize them for the offline evaluation to calculate content diversity. So mm -hmm. let's say we evaluate a U2C system. Let's say we have uh, factorization machines, whatever. So we produce a list of, of 10 items for each user. And we want to see how this recommender behaves. We have two recommenders, let's say ease and And factorization machines. Okay, so now we are more in the collaborative filtering yes. domain where we want to create personalized yes, recommendations, exactly. not exactly. something that is similar to an item, but that is similar to a user. Yes. So let's, and we want, I mean, as a public broadcaster, our goal is to provide a diversified content. So it's not like only about the precision, so the intersection basically between the set of items that we recommend and the set of items the user clicks, but we want the content to be diversified. This is important for yeah. us. So what we do is, We literally take the embeddings from the, the USE embeddings and we calculate the interlist similarity. Mm -hmm. The higher this similarity, the more diversified the content, obviously. Sense, so yeah. it's, and this is the metric that we use. And um, maybe it's now time to say what are the metrics that we base our decisions on, at least in, in terms of the user to content recommenders. It is precision. And then mm -hmm. we also, we also always look at the diversity and novelty. So diversity, I already discussed. Novelty is the inverse of popularity. So we just count the numbers of, of occurrences. We do the inverse and then we average everything. We have the number. And then we look at uh, with the three numbers because we haven't, we could have come with a very single number that will combine the three. But we look at these numbers and we say, okay, if this like accuracy is like compromised a bit, but uh, we have a better diversity and then we go for it. There are several objectives that are important exactly. for you as a public provider. Uh, however, I would also say that nowadays they are also pretty important for private platforms, uh, but also by e-commerce players who say, okay, we want to diversify our results because we want to provide some option for discovery for our users because discovery then also improves the retention of those users because they discover new content, they keep engaging with the platform. But talking about accuracy, so you have already mentioned before that magic word of engagement. How do you actually assess engagement or what are the signals of users? No, we, we train on the, on the uh, historical data. So we literally take all mm -hmm. the events that happen. Uh, we train the model on, on, on the past week or past 10, 10 days. So we literally collect the user the user IDs. We collect the item IDs. So because it's, it's, it's about the audios, we collect the duration, the, the actual duration of consumption. What do you mean when you talk about events, duration, and consumption? The events are literally the user interaction with the, with the app, right? Whenever the user clicks play, pause, skip, whatever, so it's all locked we have the information right and then we have mm -hmm. a algorithm that calculates the actual time that the user has spent on this particular item right okay i see and it is calculated like in the past seven days whichever number of sessions it is aggregated it shows like a user interest in this particular item right 
Okay. Okay. So okay. This, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not, not fully understanding okay, so it if right you watched, now. But if you uh, watch something, <laughs> if you, if you, if you listen to something uh, today, 50%. Tomorrow, you listen to the rest 50%, mm -hmm. but you also proceed to listen once again, for some reason, the first 50%. Then I will have like okay. 1.5. Oh, okay. I see. I'm obviously like now now telling what the system that, that was there in production. It was the weighted matrix factorization, the implicit library, mm -hmm. which is, I have to be honest, it's a, a very powerful, very flexible thing. And we will discuss later of how we actually kind of managed to tweak it and to beat some state-of-the-art um, models. To summarize that to that point uh, means when you talk about engagement, you basically look at the progress that users make on an episode level, exactly. meaning that there is an episode and you have some certain time window within which you look at how much I consumed from that episode, saying, for example, within two days, let's just assume I fully watched it. And then there is a 1.0 for that pair of my user ID and the corresponding episodes exactly. uh, ID, right? And about the other events mm -hmm. that users create. So for example, if a user might click something. There is add to queue, download, share. It's all uh -huh. taken into account. So we do kind of okay. aggregation. So weighted some of all of these events. So we did... Uh, offline testing where we kind of try to linearly combine them and then uh, various weights and we found like a good combination of all of these uh, events kind of where for instance share add to queue download and play play the role so mm -hmm. this is the final number and it was it was very interesting for us uh, for me it was surprising because i i was not like at the very beginning i was not a heavy user of of the audio tech but at to queue is actually the the event that is most frequently fired probably maybe for you is not a surprise but for me it was like okay it was very interesting for me the question is a bit more of uh, isn't this a bit redundant and isn't it also a bit problematic because for example if you take into account single clicks this might be too noisy or too weak as a signal or actually i do understand that you take into account several different event types but also progress that i make uh, with a certain episode and then you look at them jointly but what is actually the target so do you use them to predict whether a user is fully or to a certain extent watching an episode so how actually do you determine these weights to assess how important these individual different signals are in predicting a certain user behavior like for example watching an episode so what is actually the goal so i will start from the uh, what, I, what i forgot to say is the whole infrastructure was devised built such that the model that we used and that really proved quite good in comparison with, with all other collaborative filtering models uh, is this implicit library right so there in the implicit library we have to have a confidence interval which is relative to use right and pair right this confidence interval literally gives us how the, the user interest in a specific item so for this, mm -hmm. we devised these weighting schemas, all the combinations. So how then we find the, the optimal kind of weighting schema is we did an offline evaluation 
and we did uh, watch the highest accuracy based on the on the various combinations of of everything. Like so, we have uh, like seven days, seven past days is the training. Like the following uh, three days is the testing, and then we literally look at the accuracy. So how well you are actually doing to predict the interactions on the day after this seven day period? So the the model, if if this is a question, the model is trained like every. It's a batch system, and it's trained in every I think half an hour. But one thing that's very important thing is listen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm discussing like the very basic stuff. So they will ask, okay, why, why are we listening to the matrix factorization and so on? So the thing is, we already have this uh, like a row which is a content based, right? This is only content specific. Uh, English Einhalter related content. And then there is this uh, second row, which is the Empfehlungen für dich, recommendations for you. So we were actually constrained by the, the existence of the first row, which is a content based, not to use any information from the actual content to improve the uh, recommendations that are uh, coming only from the user item interactions. There is now a question, and this is this is what I pose. Would it actually make more sense that we only have a single row, like a single option, recommendations for mm -hmm. you? Well, where we would combine the two, like as it's as with big companies, we will do some some fancy fancy algorithm. Exactly. We will do some fancy stuff. And then we will like merge the two worlds and see how it behaves. So I I just want to like uh, tell to listeners what is the reason because when i started like proposing these ideas and actually working i started with factorization machines and, and incorporating the, the vectors and uh, categories mm -hmm. and so on it was like we already have you know we already have this why would we like pollute this particular row so uh, okay so i said mm -hmm. okay yeah i guess it definitely makes sense to uh, mix different Uh, 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 kinds of recommenders and not only look at content-based but also to collaborative filtering-based things and then maybe also join forces to create something hybrid. Uh, however, I'm, I'm having difficulties uh, finding actually the personalized row, but this, I guess, stems from the fact that you are not logged in. <laughs> that I'm not logged <laughs> exactly. in. Okay, I see. So this is also another specificity of the system, right? Yes. That means that for not logged in users, uh, you won't serve any personalized recommendations. That's another slap to the management. So okay, but definitely something that I assume you are you are fighting for. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's... <laughs> so I do understand better right now which different signals you incorporate. Also, that you merge different signals that you then use as something to optimize for by, for example, using. Uh, weighted MF. However, it sounded a bit like this is not where you stopped at. So you developed the system further from that point. Yes, of course. The thing is that the confidence intervals, right, with the, the values that you in the end compute, you can literally inject there the user preference for this particular item. And what you can utilize, I just give it a very basic example. What you can utilize there is the actual timestamp, right, such that the, the, the items that the user has more recently consumed have a higher impact on the whole factorization process. And another thing that I will mention now is this kind of merge of the two worlds, content-based and, and the item-based is, for instance, like if you have a Uh, if you have information on the on the categories of particular items, you literally inject a dummy user 
representing a category and you fill in the matrix on position where the items belonging to these categories are with ones or, or with some other constant and all the others with zero. So that means, for example, you introduce genre exactly. as a user. So, exactly. for example, the comedy user and then every episode that is holding that genre of being comedy gets a one in the matrix. It, it, not necessarily. We, we, it doesn't have to be a constant, but you, you get the idea. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it's an extremely powerful powerful model and we have tried state of the art but it failed in our case but i was actually i was very pleasantly surprised by the uh, last year rex's paper by it was also by stefan renle and yehuda koren and they argued mm -hmm. about the unfairness of uh, comparison with the original model they said that uh, the state of the art is not fairly uh, or their model kind of is not fairly compared to the state of the art and they uh, showed that with a careful tweaking of the of the model you can actually obtain much better results their main example was the increased dimensionality like they go like into thousand uh, of, of dimensionalities like 1000 we go be, be, uh, below 100 Until we squeeze the last drop of the potential of the very simple method, I'm not a big fan of going immediately with the, with the state of the art because state of the art comes from the industry specific. Like if it comes from the big companies, they have very specific problem and they optimize for it. Nowadays, I wouldn't call the two tower pattern or something like that as be very industry specific. True. However, I share your thought there that, and this also links a bit back to the histories that we have seen with neural matrix factorization and the uh, reproducibility of certain papers, and then also seeing that neural MF could be beaten by properly tweaked baselines. And I guess this is also a bit the direction where this argument comes from. And I agree with it that, um, I mean, you should not compare against something that is not properly tweaked because then your comparison is somehow a bit unjustified. So, and in the other regard, it would really say, okay, um, look at traditional standard algorithms. I guess it's both not the right term to call it, but if you look at something like implicit ALS, then it definitely makes sense to properly tweak it first. And as you said, squeeze out the last bit. However, at, at, at some certain point, you might also want just to discover new models and also get proper signals in them that it's not e so easily to get into into ILS or something like definitely. that. So maybe there are arguments for both directions mm -hmm. or what is what is your thought on yes, this? Yes, there's, there's definitely. So we, we did not actually stop with the, with the weighted matrix factorization. We moved further. So I have to mention that Harald Steck, so which is the inventor of ease, so embarrassingly shallow autoencoder. So we uh, exchanged several emails with him, collaborated with him on, on how to utilize ease. Also, we implemented a psych uh, Kit Network's uh, PageRank approach for recommendations, and we tried a, uh, se several models, like we compared them with the weighted matrix factorization. The thing is that we found out that, for instance, ease in accuracy, it was uh, under weighted matrix factorization. It comes with a high popularity bias in our case. But with episodes, for instance, what I was uh, disappointed is was to see that PageRank was behaving pretty badly. Uh, why I decided to go with the graph-based approach, I also tried an approach where I considered the user item interaction matrix as a graph, and then I do like a note of X. So you, you control the, the amount of breadth for a search and depth for a search, you do the embedding, and then you do the inner products, uh, cosine similarity, and so on. 
The thing that I was kind of disappointed is I, I come from the graph uh, world, and I, I would like to see how the graph, uh, the very, very basic graph algorithm behaves in this case. And this was the page rank. And then we run the page rank. The code is, 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 is online. Uh, just You need just a little tweak. And it was behaving pretty badly. But then we studied the the actual graph uh, that that was formed out of the user item interactions. And we had like, in the period of 10 days, we had thousands of disconnected components. And obviously, this was, this was the reason. But the game changed when we turned to recommend the podcast, so the program sets. Because now you have the same graph, but each episode is belonging to one of our podcasts where the, the number of podcasts is so much lower than the number of episodes. And then the graph became very connected. Like we had like yeah. from 1,000 reduced to 12. So it's it's a huge reduction. And then a graph-based approach worked like a charm. This was what we what we saw in uh, at least in, in in offline evaluation. So the the ranking of the algorithms by accuracy. So uh, in the episode case and in the uh, prog- in the program set case. So Sirius's episode was inverse. So this was this was our uh, very interesting interesting uh, finding. Maybe if we talk a bit more about the several use cases. So um, I have understood so far that you add these similar content but also the personalized recommendations on let's refer to it as a detail page of a certain episode or something like that is there also more of that that you are incorporating in the landing page of the ird audiotheque so the very first page that i see when i go to the audiotheque is there some ordering of the rows in place or will i be shown with several different personalized row that might have different seats or something like that or what is it you are doing on the let's say the the landing or the the first we page? haven't actually done any particular work in, in personalizing the the first page but mm-hmm. as i said so this is the huge gold mine for us for for the for the personal team we are called the personalization team here at, at pub so as I said previously, so there was this personalized sorting, not only items in the rows, but personalized sorting on the, of the rows, like you have in Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's it's the detail page that contains the, um, it's actually the three sections, like the content-based, the, the personalized, and there is also the content-based where the embeddings are coming from matrix factorization. Okay, so basically some item-to-item recommendations, but based on CF embeddings. Exactly. Like a couple of weeks ago, there was German data science days, and uh, a lady was presenting a recommender for, like, you invest in some assets, and then the recommender, like, gives you recommendation of what what other companies you should invest to or whatever, stocks, whatever. And she, she <laughs> used actually this. She actually used exactly this. She used the, oh, the cool. model, and okay. she used the embeddings, which is a clever idea because you kind of... Uh, pull out the similarity of the items based on the uh, similarity of the users consuming the items. So the similarity is stemming from the user item interactions, which makes sense in this uh, in this particular case. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's like some kind of people that invested in company A also invested in exactly. company, company B. <laughs> okay, I see. So Mirza, you touched on this topic a bit that you do not only optimize for accuracy, but that you also take into account diversity, operationalize by taking the intralist similarity. But beyond that, you have also popularity. So what are the approaches that you 
use there um, to make things more diversified or to increase the coverage or to decrease the popularity bias? So you probably noticed by, by now that I'm a big fan of the very simple approaches. And this is, this is the... Simple yet effective. <laughs> this is the main drive. I mean, everything, everything is driven by the numbers that I get in the end. So what we do is inverse propensity weighting by the popularity mm -hmm. scores. I mean, we do some uh, logarithmic or whatever other monotonically increasing function on the popularities, and then we re-rank the items. We don't want to have a, like, a very high deviation from the original results. It's, it's like adjusted, mm -hmm. but this is how we proceed. I haven't mentioned the business rules. Like there is, a, in the end, we, we go with business rules. Like if uh, not three consecutive items cannot like belong to the same genre, right? So only, only the first mm -hmm. one or the first two are picked and, and so on. Like this is where it comes into play and kind of diversifies the content. But inverse propensity scores is what we implemented. It's obviously the, like from the computational perspective, it's it easiest to do re-ranking in mm -hmm. the end. But of course you can multiply your rows, but it will take you some time. So you use inverse propensity weighting then as a re-ranker after getting exactly, the recommendation exactly. lists for yes. the users, because there are also some approaches where you might be using it within the processing exactly. and within the training of your recommender. Have you also applied around with these several stages where to use inverse propensity weighting? Because in general, if you uh, look at debiasing, you have that differentiation into pre-processing, in-processing and post-processing. In your case, it's a post-processing example. But what are your experiences there? Have you tried different steps to incorporate IPS or what are your experiences we there? We have experimented only with the post-processing, but we are aware of mm -hmm. the actual approach that from the very beginning optimizes for the novelty, let's say, for, for the novelty. But we haven't experimented with it. I think this was, and I'm not sure if, if this year or the past year, there was a very interesting paper where uh, on in the Rexis where they actually... I think it even came with the code. Discuss this approach uh, of of injecting the inverse the in the in the objective function. So they minimize the objective function in the end. But as I said, we did not utilize it there. One very interesting thing with the page rank approach. Okay, with the page rank. Mm -hmm. So there was actually a contribution from your company uh, posted a couple of months ago on LinkedIn, and I found it. And this was uh, from one of the I think uh, bachelor or master student who did who did uh, uh, address the popularity bias within the page rank. Yeah, actually, we played a bit around with the Twitter data mm -hmm. set and uh, her name was Eva Engel and she was actually uh, my bachelor thesis student. So mm -hmm. I had the pleasure to supervise her during her thesis. And we were actually playing around with fairness aware page mm -hmm. rank and also with extensions of it to apply it to the Uh, Twitter data that was provided a couple of years ago alongside the Rexus challenge. So uh, was this something that you could reuse? Or yes, the idea. That, so yeah, how, how, how were you able to, to use it? So it would be interesting. Obviously, <laughs> so the, the basic idea is that the degrees play a significant role. We kind of utilize this within the page rank walk uh, where the, uh, the edge weights were normalized by the degrees. Then it, we, we had the algorithm in the end. That was kind of the popularity debiased debiased algorithm. And this is something that you also used on your data, on your domain, to compare it with 
the um, inverse propensity scoring as a re-ranker to the MF approach, yes. and then you yes. compared both yes. of them in terms of popularity debiasing. So what was the result there? So with the episodes, mm -hmm. I have to say, with the episodes, in all cases, uh, the MF behaves best. PageRank behaves best in with the program sets for the reasons I discussed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you again specify what program sets are actually? It's a series, like you mentioned uh, Bastian Pastevka, right? Uh, so let's say he's, he has his podcast. Like this is like a series of his episodes, and all of his episodes are belonging to a Bastian Pastevka podcast. So when we convert the actual data set, we literally replace every item below every episode ID belonging to the Bastian Pastevka podcast with the podcast mm -hmm. ID. This is the the only change that we that we do in the in the algorithm, and then in the end it it works uh, perfectly. We do aggregations, obviously. Oh, okay. We do aggregations. I mean, there yeah. are like confidence yeah. confidence intervals are aggregated across the uh, across the uh, the episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the end, uh, this is how it this is how it works. Can you also let us know what are your next steps or the stuff that is ahead on your roadmap? Uh, so I've already got a bit the impression that uh, sometimes you would be more satisfied with things being a bit quicker. But uh, I guess you might have plans and you and your team, you are also trying out different things. So maybe connecting it a bit to the main problems. So you do have recommenders in place that are able to anticipate users' taste and provide correspondingly recommendations that are not only relevant, but also diversified and to a certain degree popularity debiased. But are you already satisfied with the diversity, with the popularity debiasing and also with the accuracy? Or are there other goals mm -hmm. that are getting more and more important for you. So what is it that you actually deal with currently or want to deal with further in the future? Yes, so this is, for instance, a, uh, we did a study on the underserved user groups. This was motivated by the publications from the past Rexes, and we identified that there are some some underserved users. And by the way, we could talk about the cold start approach, uh, cold start problem afterwards. So we wanted to uh, to see if there are patterns, like if we can really identify the underserved users. I mean, obviously, with the, with the matrix factorization, the more you use it the better recommendations you get and you dominate all the <laughs> others and so on so there are some underserved users so what could we do for the underserved user groups this is one one area another area is that the data analyst team uh, actually came with the conclusion that during daytime so during like uh, from eight to five items of Uh, short duration are consumed preferably, but after work items of longer duration. Okay, so you can you can obviously do some some filtering there to accommodate, but can we do better there? And yeah, so these are these are the the approaches that we are exploring. As I said at the very beginning, there is also first that we get the green light that we have a single section that is incorporating the user item interactions with the content data such that we have a single section providing the uh, recommendations to the user on the detail page or on the landing that's page that's a good question that's that's a good question <laughs> yes that's, i would be satisfied if it's if it's a detail page at the beginning so but let's let's see 
yeah, so this is uh, obviously there is like the state of the art development we also wanted to tackle. And uh, mm -hmm. I, a couple of weeks ago, I finished a course from, from Risha Met Metrora. You also did this in the state of the art Rexis. So, very, very good ideas. Uh, one thing also, this is a very, very good one actually. A PhD candidate will join us. She did her PhD at the University of Bolzano in the mm -hmm. uh, user simulation for the Rex uh, recommender evaluation. So, what we want, the initial project will actually be to build this simulation system such that we save time for the offline evaluation because we want to have like a filtering system that all the ideas can be tested uh, and that we have a direct correlation with our offline evaluation, so to speak, like with this simulation, user simulation approach, with the A-B testing, because there is a good correlation between these two approaches, according to her research. So we are investing into having like evaluation methodology that will save us time and that like the, the promise of the method is that it has like a good correlation between the offline evaluation results with the A-B test results. And as you know, this sometimes very inverse. I was already about to, to bring up yeah. that point because you said uh, to speed up the offline evaluation process and I would have expected something differently because uh, I haven't asked you so far how big of a problem offline, online discrepancy is in your case. So I would have assumed that the simulator somehow rather to uh, circumnavigate that discrepancy but this is something that you don't observe to such a great extent so that you can rely pretty much on the offline results and that they do correlate well with your online results or how predictive are your offline evaluation results of how a recommender performs online. I cannot tell the, the actual numbers, but I can tell that it's like pretty good. It gives like very good indication, okay. but it, a few times I was very like surprised what, what's going on there. And then we try to, to track down what's what's happening. And there are like various reasons of the offline evaluation mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. on. But in the end, is, it is the online results that go to production. Have you also considered investigating off-policy evaluation and learning that are gaining very high attention in the community for no. this? No, we haven't. Okay, not so far. Okay. So first thing is uh, extending more into the simulation yes. aspects of it to evaluate certain ideas more quickly exactly. and then pick the right one to test out exactly. in, in an online setting. Okay. Maybe going a bit back to the aspect that you mentioned a couple of minutes before about also the future challenges. So you mentioned, uh, of course, the CS problem, incorporation of contextual signals like for example time of day in mm -hmm. order to serve longer or shorter content the business rules i want to ask you a bit more about these underserved user groups because it's somehow of a i would say tricky field because in order to understand that some certain groups are underserved you need to know something about them and sometimes of course you don't have access to let's say protected attributes so you, I'm, I'm not sure because I haven't gone through the registration yet, um, but I'm not sure whether you have access to, let's say, the gender of your users no. or, or something like that. But how then do you detect that certain groups are underserved? 
So as I said, so this this was the, something that we will explore. But we have a very educated guess, so to speak, that there are definitely some users, and we can pretty much based mm-hmm. on the model that we currently have, we can say, okay, if this model works quite well, then let's see if you can do better for the users that do not interact that much. So mm-hmm. the thing is, what, what an approach that we did, okay, we for instance we call it like take minimum approach. And this is this is famous in literature. So first we we take the last seven days for the training, right? And then we freeze the number of users. And then we identify the users whose number of interactions is pretty low. And for these users, we go into the past. If it's like seven days, we go for them even for, uh, for three months. And we collect their interactions. We pull these interactions into the game. And in the end, we provide recommendations mm-hmm. for them. And actually, we A-B tested this approach and it proved pretty good. Okay, so the assumption I would say that is behind this approach is that for your, let's say, high active users that are frequently interacting with the platform, you want to take into account more of their short-term feedback to provide more dynamically changing recommendations and those for which the seven-day window doesn't provide enough evidence to infer their preferences on you go back more in the past, but then it's really about seven days or three months that you're going to take into account of interactions? Yes, only for the these underserved users, we study the past. Which means that when talking about underserved groups, and this is more about their activity that they have, so kind of frequently mm-hmm. active users and let's say less active users. Exactly, but the kind of non-active users are those who are not getting the recommendations they deserve, so to speak. This is the nature of the algorithm, right? So this is the nature of the algorithm. Yeah. It's a known thing. So this is why we said, okay, let's, if we are using it, if it, if it works well, in the majority of cases, let's, let's see how we can mm-hmm. actually tackle it to, to work uh, well in, in all other cases. That definitely makes sense to me. It also, many parts of, of our conversation also remind me of a paper uh, that was presented at uh, CIKM that was about a simulation and controlling popularity bias and also about how user profiles in terms of genre probability distributions might converge over time due to a feedback loop that you are getting. Is this something that you also look into? You have just mentioned you also participated in the personalized recommendations at scale course. And there, of course, two tower patterns were also presented and touched on. Also something you might want to think about in terms of coming up with hybrid approaches is Uh, creating dedicated user profiles. So is this something that you want to deal with in the future? Because in its easiest manner, you could say that a user interacts with certain items and thereby interacts with certain genres. So creating genre preferences for users, like you also mentioned in the very first part to detect or let's say, distinguish the sports from the comedy user, but also directly using them with certain approaches. Is this something that you are considering? Yes, we will be considering this, definitely. So this was the actual aim of me participating in the in, in the course to collect the mm-hmm. to collect all the ideas, to then present to the management the ideas, to get the green light and to to finally uh, try to beat the, <laughs> the weighted matrix factorization because uh, we were working very, very much to like, you know, to, to find a system that will, that will be it, but we have to prepare the ground to to beat it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we if we are given like only a single section, you know, to provide the recommendations, then it would be uh, it would be a perfect scenario to incorporate all the all the ideas. 
you were also touching on on business rules and how you incorporate business rules in filtering recommendations is it really that you filter recommendations at the very end so once you get them as the uh, ranked list of items from a certain model or do you also already use or try certain approaches that rather incorporate certain business rules because i found it always a bit difficult to constrain a list of recommendations afterwards because then i might be ending up with too few items if i would for example constrain the output to kids content is this something that is kind of a real problem for you it is so it is actually so in we we do the post-processing in the end so we do the filtration in the end mm -hmm. but obviously depending on the business rule it might happen uh, that sometimes we get like if we are to, to recommend 10 items we are only left with two there are like programmatic ways of how we we handle this we handle this approach so there are like uh, statements that we that take care of of, of these cases uh, but uh, the point is we do uh, business rules towards the end there was one very interesting business rule a kind of a request that when a user gets recommended an episode coming from a from a podcast right and the user has never mm -hmm. seen this podcast then you should recommend him the first episode from this podcast this was the requirement you know and it was it was an easy one to do you know but the, the thing is it makes sense in some cases but some of the the episodes are usually like they come from the same genre but episodes like mm -hmm. uh, among themselves are totally like the, the world for itself you know so it it doesn't actually make sense so this is how how we argued. So they were they were like yeah. I remember there was once a summary. I guess it was performed by Spotify on broad set of podcasts and looking into their length and so on and so forth. And they also distinguish into these two kinds of podcasts that there are. And I guess also that Apple Podcast does this where you say, okay, you have episodic content and there is the other one. I I can't recall its name right now, but basically the content that you say and put there as a yeah very reasonable counter argument to say there's also podcasts that can be consumed in any order you also said cold start so one of the main foundational problems in recommender systems uh, for cold start users what are your ideas there to use or to improve the audio take this is a definitely an area an area of improvement so this section the content based section will always be provided but the the personalized section mm -hmm. is where the problem is uh, if the if the user is like completely new if he has two or one uh, interactions we filter it out from the data set this is like we are cruel but uh, as i said previously the take minimum approach is for all other users that we scan the the past history to see if there if there is some more interactions that we can pull from the past and integrate with the initial data set these are the current approaches but uh, obviously as you have identified there is a large uh, area to be explored with regard to the cold user problem in terms of diversity i remember having had that discussion with uh, reshap in one of our previous episodes uh, that was around discovery and diversity so that you always want to provide users with the opportunity to discover new content but this doesn't necessarily translate into providing diversified content um, this is something that also resonates with you that you could 
based on the users and their histories distinguish into users with more narrow interest versus users with broader interests and that you might want to adapt a diversification approach to personal diversity traits of a users. So for example, that users with narrow taste profiles don't really want to see very diverse content and that you might also need to take into account this. I guess there was a paper by Spotify where they were uh, looking into this aspect. So the generalist versus specialist. Is this something that you also uh, want to explore more or is it more of a let's first have a general solution for diversification? It is definitely. So good Good that you brought it up. And it actually, the idea is with us like six months that we built the kind of user class, the user profiles of the users that are like uh, narrow users and they stay within their comfort zone and users that are exploring the content wildly. This is definitely something that we will be, that we will be looking at. Uh, we will then have to. I don't know if if we if we will need to some uh, how you say editorial expert knowledge in how on how to identify these. I mean, probably we we can do it via the embeddings and see the the actual the browsing history and the embeddings to group the users. But this is definitely something that that we will be looking at. And there is also this. There comes into play, but I don't know how. Right now, I I don't know how to combine or separate the two. There is this underserved user groups. Uh, so. It is also related to the model. So if the narrow users or if the users that are exploring the content or, or are out of the comfort zone users, are they like underserved users and what, what can we do in that direction? So these mm-hmm. two objectives are kind of merging into one, but it is definitely something that, uh, that we, will be, uh, we will be looking, looking at. Yeah, interesting stuff. Seems like there is a lot of work still to be done and you won't be or get bored with it, I say. <laughs> let's get the green lights um, from the management first. Then let's get the green yes. lights first. <laughs> what is your broader perspective on the field of recommender systems? I mean, there's no day where none of us is not, let's say, fully overthrown by any chat GPT mm-hmm. posts online. But if you look at the field of recommender systems, what is your take? Where is the field developing? Into which direction or where do you see major challenges? The very interesting thing to, uh, for me is the recommender system in e-commerce, where we can, where one can basically study the user behavior, like okay, the the user interaction with the web page, like how many times. I mean, there is like a user hesitation, like if the you study the events that the user has with a particular item, like if he views the item several times across uh, X number of minutes, if he puts it to cart and if he removes it to cart, what should you do? What, mm-hmm. what, what kind of signal is it? If he interacts with the search box, can we have the speed of typing? If he scrolls down the page, like this is the, like if he's interested in, in this particular item, like he reads, mm-hmm. you know, so these are all the signals to the recommender, but this is signals to what, what can we do? Like if this is like a hesitant user, let's give him a gift. Like if there are several items in his cart, let's uh, let's give a related item or let's give some discount or, you know, push. I mean, it's, it's a little manipulative, I know. But, you know, these, <laughs> these, these things are very interesting to me. And I mean, the same ideas, maybe, not maybe, definitely we could adjust and then use in our case. But I think that... Uh, the big questions, at least in my understanding, are answer, answered. And now utilizing these signals is where the recommender system uh, will, will go. 
So this is around very user behavior center, like psychology and then studying the actual behavior, maybe even uh, utilizing the cross-platform if there is access to it, tastes and, or something. So this is something very interesting to me. I would love to see this uh, applied, like if, if we have all these listeners, but which would not be that <laughs> that easy to have with the public broadcasters, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Interesting and worth exploring. Besides being a data scientist and a expert, there was also a third category that you put yourself into, and this is actually that you are a novelist. Tell us a bit about your expertise in writing novels. Okay, so it's uh, expertise in writing novels. It, it, it doesn't really sound, you know, it's, it's like a, I always, uh, I liked I liked writing fiction. And I was, I, I grew up in, in, I grew up actually in, in, in Serbia. So it's like a former Yugoslavia, it's a communist country. And we were heavily influenced by the uh, Russian classics. And when I came to Germany, I was uh, reading the German classics. And one of my favorite readers, actually the very top of, is Hermann Hesse. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I said, uh, you know, you know from, the, from the perspective of whether I'm going to do something or not. So I, I look from the perspective of a... 80-year-old guy who looks uh, at his life and says, okay, would I regret if I haven't done this? And for me, it was, okay, I would regret if I haven't written a novel. And back then <laughs> in 2015, uh, it was the time when, where I was, okay, I was finished with my PhD and I had the capacity, I had, had the, I hope the talents to write a novel. And I, I said, okay, let's, let's write a novel. I was still uh, under the experience of writing the PhD. It was completely different business, but still. So yeah, so I, I've, I've written a novel. It was written in English. It took me some six years to do it. I collaborated with uh, literary consultancy agencies from London. It took five drafts, I think. So it was a pretty pretty intensive intellectually and emotionally intensive work. Uh, yes, yeah, so if you're interested about what it's about, I can provide a few sentences. Yeah, just tell us a bit about and when it will be available. Yes, so the, it is. I'm a Bosnia coming from Serbia. So I was practically since my birth, I was in, in, in the war zones. So I, I wrote a novel about a Bosnia who is growing up in an area in Serbia during the Bosnian war. So this was away mm -hmm. from the from the mother country. And he witnesses how the Serbian police murders his father. Uh, and then as an eight-year-old boy, of course, he forms a prejudice about the, the Serbian nation and he has hatred for, for all the Serbs. And this then he carries his whole life. He and his mother, he carries this his whole life. But obviously, how you say, the reflection of, of, such, a, of such a thought is this person restricts itself in, in, in life. So when he's 27, 28, so 20 years after, he's a student in, in Sarajevo, and uh, so in, in the capital of Bosnia. And his first neighbor is a Serb who has the same name as his father's killer. So hmm. then there mm -hmm. is a dynamic between the two. But at some point he notices like it's uh, it's uh, like 300 pages. It's it's a very like dynamic is that he notices, okay, he's a bit different, but then he explores a bit more. Okay, this Serb is, is, is actually a good one. So it, it goes like he moves him from one category to the other mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. he has a big problem and the Serb actually saves him from suicide. 
And then oh, they see. form a very strong bond. So they become very good friends. And the, the story ends in uh, the Marco, which is the, the name of the, of, the, of the Serbian, visiting uh, Ismet, which is the name of the Bosniak, and his mother in the hometown where the father was murdered. So in overall, it is a story about reconciliation of the two nations. And I, I noticed, see. because I was yeah. in Sarajevo, that the war is unfortunately still not over. It's still in people's head. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think it will remain so for at least the following 20 years. So I wrote it in English because I kind of knew that writing it in Bosnian would be a big failure, at least for the moment being. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously, it's, it's relevant nowadays. It, as for the status, it is with an American agent. So... I managed to find an agent who will represent it with the publisher. So he's contacting the publishers and uh, we will be also contacting the German German publishers or so European because the story is, um, it's written in English, but the market, American market is obviously the biggest, but the story is closer to Europe, right? So I hope that we will have like a positive uh, response from, from one of the publishers. If not, uh, mm -hmm. then I, I will, uh, because I, I, I want to write more novels. I want to get rid. I want. I want to publish this one. I will then put it as as a Kindle on Amazon. I hope it will treat me well with the cold start uh, and and stuff. <laughs> so the <that they> recommender <laughs> will treat me well. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's actually an adventure. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a process of mm -hmm. self discovery. It's emotionally intense, uh, obviously, and uh, mm -hmm. it's it's the work that structures your emotion and your intellect. Writing, it's like mm -hmm. the merge of the two worlds mm -hmm. for me. Like the 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 mother and the father will the the philosophy ratio and the emotion it's the perfect vocation at least the, the writing at least for, for 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 me as a personality okay what is the title of the book waters of the green waters of the green the green is is the river uh, where ismet swimmed uh, as as a boy so it is in this in this town uh, where he lived okay. at, at the okay. very beginning and in the end both of them are actually they they are at the green so this is how it begins okay. and this is how it ends. Okay. So I hope you haven't spoiled too much, but it sounds definitely like a touching story. And yes. to be honest, you got me some goosebumps several times when talking about it. So watch out for Waters of the Green uh, once it's published. I hope for the best. <laughs> and definitely sound, sounds great and like a nice counterweight. So on the one side being very theoretically uh, writing scientific stuff and on, on the other side going into that very different direction of writing. If you would not only draft your scientific or your novelist work, but also the future of this podcast and in this podcast talking to people from the field of Rexus, is there some specific person that you might be interested to hear more about? Have you done a podcast with Harald Steck? Not yet, but okay, if this is the person, then I will yes, take I a would, note. <laughs> yes, I would definitely love to hear. So Harald Steck, Yehuda Koren and Stefan Rendle, have you done with any of them? Not yet, but uh, three names. Maybe they are also already on my list. Yes, that would be that would be very, very good to, to have them here also. They are definitely like uh, leaders. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so it was really a pleasure talking to you. I guess we learned a lot about the work and also many interesting stuff in 
the work on the podcast and uh, audio recommendations that you provide within the IRD Audiothek. And also nice to have a German product in this podcast that comes from Germany. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for participating in the show. It was really a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine and uh, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed the time. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, the last question, uh, will you be going to Rexos this year? Uh, not this year. This year okay, not, not yeah. this, but maybe yeah. next, next yeah, yeah. when we are back to Europe. <laughs> yes, yes, this is, this is good. Thank you. Have a nice day and talk to you soon. Thanks. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Experts, the podcast that brings you the experts in recommender systems. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast player and please share it with anybody you think might benefit from it. Please also leave a review on Podchaser. And last but not least, if you have questions, a recommendation for an interesting expert you want to have in my show or any other suggestions, drop me a message on Twitter or send me an email to marcel at rexperts.com. Thank you again for listening and sharing and make sure not to miss the next episode because people who listen to this also listen to the next episode. See you. Goodbye. Thank you.